Jesus has more than a few run-ins with the religious leaders of his time. After unsettling them by pushing the boundaries of their long-held beliefs, he starts crossing over the lines. Too often the Pharisees see themselves in Jesus' parables, in his stories, and not in a good way. Is it any wonder that they want to trip him up? That they might want to prove him to be a false and dangerous rabbi? The story we heard today is just such a time. So Jesus, which commandment in the law is the greatest? His answer begins with a part of what is known as the Shema. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Devout Jews had repeated those words twice a day long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and they still do today. Jesus goes on to say that the second greatest commandment, even though they didn't ask him about that, the second greatest commandment is much like the first, and he quotes from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Even though, as I told the children, there are 613 commandments in the Torah, Jesus offers these two commandments that define and reorient all of the rest. They are at the core of his teaching, at the core of his life and his ministry. Jesus goes off by himself to pray, to reconnect with God. He has compassion for everyone, even those shunned and despised by everybody else. He never wavers in his love, even when it takes him to the cross. It sounds simple, love God and love your neighbor. We hear it all the time at church, so much so that it kind of falls off our lips and we forget that these two commandments go to the very heart of our faith. What does loving God even mean? Can you and I really love God with the totality of our being, with heart and mind and soul? I long to love God with my whole self, but it is a daily challenge as I navigate this life. It's a work in progress. We can love God through our gratitude for the beauty of creation, for the preciousness of relationships, for the gifts of music and creativity, learning and curiosity, play and laughter, and so much more. There are times when prayer and praises are genuine and real. Yet sometimes we need help to learn to love God, and that is where a community of faith like this one can make such a difference. When one of us is struggling, we lean on another and let their faith carry us and lift us up until we have that faith for ourselves. As I shared also with the children this morning, the challenge is that your neighbor is not just the person across the street, not just the person you know, not the person whose values or ideas or politics mesh with your own or who you even like. It can be the person you find hardest to love. As a matter of fact, learning to love that person stretches and grows our faith, drawing us even closer to God. A Norwegian novelist, Johan Bor, tells a story in which a man moves to a small village. He puts up a 
big imposing fence around his property and posts a sign on it in red letters that says, keep out. If that's not bad enough, the fact that he's clearly uninterested in getting to know his neighbors, he keeps a vicious dog on the other side of that fence so that every time people walk by, they will hear him snarling and snapping and spitting. One day, a neighbor's little girl walks by and she reaches between the fence posts to pet the dog when suddenly he grabs her by the arm, bites her, and kills her. Saddened by her senseless death and angry at the man, the people in the village refuse to have any contact with him. They won't even sell him groceries or seed for his farm. Soon he's destitute, he's hungry, he's in despair. And then one morning, to his utter shock and amazement, he looks out his window and he sees another man sowing seed in his field. He runs out to see who is helping him, only to discover that it is the father of the little girl who lost her life. Why are you doing this, he asks. And the father replies, I am doing this to keep God alive in me. Friends, the more we can stretch ourselves to love our neighbor as God loves them, as God loves us, the deeper our relationship can go. When we refuse to love our neighbor, we isolate ourselves from God. You see, God moves toward us in love all the time. Even though God is other and beyond human understanding, God moved toward us in Jesus Christ to help us know the depth of divine love. Now God comes to us through the Spirit, moving in our hearts, and it can be life-changing. Only we keep walling ourselves off, pushing God away bit by bit. In our reading from Leviticus, we see some of the ways that we do that. Do you sometimes have a hard time letting go of a grudge? Someone hurts you and you just can't let it go, you have a hard time, you struggle to forgive that person. Maybe even imagine how you might get them back or you might start gossiping about them and airing your grievances to anyone who will listen. You know that that anger and resentment is wounding your soul, but you can't seem to move past it. Or perhaps you keep a mental list, a record of wrongs you've suffered in your life. I see this sometimes far too often in marriages. Does your husband or wife get historical? I don't mean hysterical, I mean historical. Bringing up all your past mistakes, giving the litany over and over again. The more we do these sorts of things, the more isolation we impose on ourselves, shutting the door on a meaningful relationship with God. In 2020, you may remember how hard it was when folks had to all stay in their homes, away from contact with the outside world. Friends and family couldn't even see each other. We couldn't even be in church together. I remember puppets in the pews because there were no people. And I had to learn to pray with people over the phone instead of in person. The health of some nursing home residents went into rapid decline as they were cut off from loved ones. As hard as that was, 
Life is even more challenging when our refusal to open our hearts and love to others isolates us from the relationship that God so deeply desires with us, effectively shutting the door to our walled-off existence. And then Jesus reminds us of two hinges on the door. As you know, every door needs at least two hinges if it is to open. And what are the two hinges? You guessed it, love of God and love of neighbor. With those hinges, the door swings wide open. We are free to escape the soul-crushing weight of the choices we have made, like not caring for the poor, not noticing the neighbor in need, not seeking justice for those who are oppressed or pushed to the margins of society, neglecting those who need us, even doing or saying harsh and cruel things that wound one another's spirit and well-being. We are still held in God's love even through those times, but it is hard to feel it, it is hard to know it, to let our lives be transformed by it if we are still hiding in our self-made prisons. How can we open our hearts especially when it is challenging. As we hear about the tragedy in the Middle East, it is disturbing to me, and I'm sure to many of you, when people paint either all Israelis or all Palestinians with a broad brush, forgetting the innocents who have nothing to do with the pain that has been inflicted by people in power on both sides for years and years and years. It is heartening when I recently heard Israeli students trying to remind others that many of the Palestinians they know are kind and peaceful people who are just as afraid of Hamas as they are. And we hear Palestinians who explain that they do not see all Israelis as evil. Many of them have been neighbors and friends. When I was there in 2009, rockets were being fired from Lebanon. And yet I witnessed and participated in many wonderful joint projects through which Israelis and Palestinians work together to try to help people from both sides learn to see the humanity of the other. One of them was the Parents Bereavement Group. It includes both Israelis and Palestinians who have lost children to violence. The two men who lead the, lead the group are both grieving for their daughters, who were very young when they were killed. The Israeli man's daughter was killed by a single man who was a suicide bomber, and the Palestinian man's daughter was killed by a single extremist Israeli settler who shot her as she was just walking to school. These two men, who were wary of each other at first, have become friends. They go together to Israeli and Palestinian schools, telling the story of how their friendship began and how they now know each other's hearts. They are able to offer school children a chance to see the face and discover the humanity of people they have long been taught to hate. Some of you may have heard the name of Elias Shakur, or Ilias Shakur as he calls himself. He's a Palestinian Arab Christian who is also a citizen of the state of Israel. He is a priest in the Melkite Greek Catholic Church. When he was a child, his family and the rest of his village, was removed, they were all removed from their land by Israeli authorities, making them refugees. 
Everything his father had worked for was lost, and suddenly they were considered to be trespassers on the land of their ancestors. A couple from the last congregation I served worked with Shakur in a school in Ibelin in Galilee, in Israel, where he runs a school for both Israelis and Palestinian students who learn to live together in peace. Those students also go to other places to help other people learn what they have learned at the school. Shakur has written several meaningful books and has been asked to speak all over the world. I've been able to meet him and hear him several times, as well as hosting some of the students from his school. In one of the books, he talks about speaking to a crowd of 800 Jewish people in a large congregation in Atlanta, Georgia. He said that our task is to rehumanize ourselves in each other's eyes. Shakur said that his vision was of two children, Israeli and Palestinian, who are friends. One day they celebrate their friendship when the Palestinian child brings an Israeli flag for his newfound brother and the Jewish child brings a Palestinian for his newfound brother. And they hug each other and they say, we were so ignorant, so blind to believe that those who gave us money and weapons could show us the way. When Shakur finished his speech, the rabbi of the congregation came forward with tears in his eyes and asked Shakur to give him a blessing in front of his community. Shakur placed his hand on the rabbi's head and gave him a blessing in Hebrew. The rabbi turned to him and said, I will not become your brother. I have discovered that I was already your brother and we just didn't know each other. Friends, if you struggle with loving your neighbor, act like you do, and in time your heart will open in ways you never expected. When you and I leave this world, the memory we leave in the minds of others and the impact we had on this world won't be anything to do with our degrees or our accomplishments. What matters now and what will matter then is how much we loved. And if you are having trouble doing that, just open that door of your heart and ask for some help. After all, asking God for help is where true discipleship begins. Amen.